Episode 73 of the Busting Balls Podcast. He's John, I'm Jeffrey. You can hit us up on Twitter at Busting Balls Pod. Well, at least while we still have Twitter, who, the, the, that may be a little up in the air right now. You can email us at BustingBallsPod at gmail.com. You're listening to us through our native SoundCloud feed, SoundCloud.com slash Busting-Balls or the PWOM Podcast Network, SoundCloud.com slash Pro Wrestling Only. And you can find us on Spotify, search Busting Balls Podcast. Today's topic, fuck the World Cup. John and Jeffrey don't break down. They blow up this sham of a World Cup and everyone involved. John, we have a guest with us this week. We have a guest. We have, I think, the first guest since Mr. Ockram. Yeah, this is our, our second ever guest on the Busting Balls podcast in the four years we've been doing this. So uh, th- th- this should be a, a, a great honor. Uh, coming to us from the the, uh, the the frosty frontier of Denver, Colorado, uh, a good friend of mine, and uh, we're bringing him on to discuss football Brasileiro and the J-League. Uh, please welcome from the Sounds on Six podcast, Chris Damasceno. Chris, how are you, my man? It's been a good while. It's good to be here with you again, Jeff. Good to finally meet you, John. And what I overheard both the idea of talking Campeonato Brasileiro and the J1 League alongside shitting on the World Cup as a whole, I could not pass up the opportunity. <laughs> so here I am. Uh, so before we begin, I would like to congratulate uh, a, a certain club for being the biggest fucking frauds in football. Uh, give it up for... Rangers FC, everybody. Woo! <laughs> the worst Champions League squad ever. Ever, ever. The no points, six losses, a, uh, what was it, a minus 20 goal difference, I think, John? Yep, and the worst 22. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> was it a negative 22? I believe it was 22, I thought it was, yes. only, I thought it was negative, I thought it was only a negative 20. Either way, that was like the worst. And how do they follow up? How, how do they come back and, and show their fighting spirit? By losing to St. Johnston 2-1 today. <laughs> Jeff, you've had a really good day today, haven't you? I really did. Spurs lost. <laughs> Arsenal beat Chelsea to go back up top. And uh, yeah, Rangers lost. I, I couldn't have asked for a better day. Yeah, it's it's nice to see Liverpool win for a change and do Arsenal a favour. <laughs> right? the table looking out that's far, far distant, baby. 
<laughs> oh my good yeah I, john I, I hate to say it yeah i think uh yeah you you your liverpool are out of the title race i'm sorry <laughs> it, it's, it's a done deal well we're, we're only what uh, 16 points behind you or 13 points behind you or whatever it is something something akin to that but <laughs> hey at the very what? least if round of 16 in the champions league you're still kind of in the grounds to you know hey if the league doesn't work out, maybe the Champions League will. Who knows? Yeah, it's what we do. <laughs> I mean, they, in, in fairness, they do have a League Cup and an FA Cup to defend, too, still. But, also that, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, mm -hmm. there is that. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I just love the fact that Arsenal did win against Chelsea because after, especially after on Friday seeing the email come from NBC Sports, is this the weekend that Man City go up top and stay there? Uh, nope. <laughs> Sorry. Not really. No, not really. Oh, I'd also like to shout out to Kevin De Bruyne, you absolute fucking cheat. Oh, it was a horrific dog. I mean, there was minor contact, but going down like that, no. Look, it's one of those things where, again, within the course of the rule book, the refs are going to favor that sort of thing, even with minimal contact, which is unfortunate, especially when you can see after a couple of views that is just this is just blatantly fishing for one. But unless the rule book itself changes at any point, uh, guys are still gonna go down for those. And you know, it's it's smart and tactical if it's for your team, and it's kind of bullshit if you're a neutral or oh, against that, it. That it's was the nature the most, of the game, unfortunately. That was one of the most blatant dies I have ever witnessed in a football. Oh yeah, I haven't seen anything that blatant since Arden Snyder in the World Cup against Mexico. Oh, <laughs> infamous no out of penal. Oh my goodness! You know, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I'm just old enough to remember when uh, Rob Stone and Warren Barton were were talking on Fox Soccer Channel back when they had the Premier League, and they were. All deciding that uh, Santi Cathorla of Arsenal should get a higher ban for diving than, you know, um, John Terry and Luis Suarez got for racism. Yeah, I, I, I'm old enough to remember those days. But now it's like, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, you got to you gotta do what you got to do to win because that's just what champions do. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an unfortunate you. part of the game, but alas. Yeah, the, the unfortunate part, changes in the rule book. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the unfortunate part of the game that, yes, that, uh, yeah, bad pundits are in the tank is part of the... <laughs> which is why we don't have any sponsorships, which is why after four years we still don't have any sponsorships or anything. We we tried with Fop Mob. I, I guess Fop Mob's not going for it. So, hey, Fop Mob, we're still out here. <laughs> <laughs> We'll say anything, almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> although I think after this, uh, although I think after this main topic, uh, we uh, we probably will not ever get any sponsorship ever after <laughs> after after today's topic. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Jeff, about the Arsenal today. Come on, let's let's get on to the good stuff. Hey, yeah, about the Arsenal today. Uh, we won uh, one nil. Uh, great, uh, great effort. On a corner from Saka, Gabriel, you know, made sure it went over the line. Good for him. 1-0. Best ever start to a top-flight campaign ever for the Gunners. Yeah, there you go. Yep, and thoroughly merited, too. Um, genuinely haven't seen an Arsenal side this good probably since Patrick Vieira retired. Uh, 
yeah, it, it's been a while. It's been a while. Well, wait, since he retired or since he left oh, Arsenal? Since, well, he left Arsenal. The same, it amounted to the same thing, really. I mean, he, he won <laughs> three Scudetto. Oh, wait, uh, that's debatable how many Scudetto he actually won. Cause, exactly. Because he was on that Juve team. But uh, <laughs> that, that's uh, always a matter of debate. This is what I was referring to. I knew you'd <laughs> But yeah, just crazy chaos in the matter of that corner there. I'm very surprised that like nobody really got to it until Gabriel got his foot onto the ball just to get it over the line. But just yeah, that sometimes it shows set pieces are kind of the way to go in some of these goals. Sometimes yeah. you need something like that to break the game wide open. Chris here, of course, will will not be crowing too much about the fact that Gabriel Jesus came from Palmeiras. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, there is an immediate bias where I want to see him do well. That was the situation for his steady stint, which was unfortunately a lot of ups and downs just with the way that Guardiola plays the center forwards or what have you. So Seeing him succeed in Arsenal the way that he has so far, super uh, thrilled for him. He's one of the guys that kind of helped Palmeiras usher this new age that we've had in recent times with titles and such. So pretty happy to see him do well in the world stage as a whole. And we'll get to that here in a minute, but uh, we have noticed that uh, Jesus has had a bit of a gold drought recently. But he's been he in, has. But he's been in every play, though. It seems like yeah, exactly. He is a game changer in that aspect, in which even when he's not scoring. Uh, his presence is still something that you can't ignore on the field. So Yeah, absolutely. He's doing a job that no one else at Arsenal can do, and he's doing it brilliantly. He is occupying defences. He's letting other players score, you know, the midfield. You know, Odegaard, um, Saka, yeah. it, uh, yeah, Martinelli, etc. He, he's doing Odegaard it. should have scored in that game, too. It should have oh, been yes, two he should in. have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah he, that was a gimme he, he missed. Yeah, um, and I think the other thing to say is, that game, Arsenal today outplayed Chelsea at their place, which I did not expect at all. No. You know, I, I heard one of the NBC pundits say that this this wasn't a one nil. Well, this this was a one nil hammering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like at one point, I remember the, the 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 commentator made a made a point like it has been thirty minutes since Chelsea made an attempted shot at the Arsenal goal. I like. Thirty minutes, and this is like yeah. de- de- deep in the game too. So. It was just a very one-sided set of affairs, and it shows that again, this Arsenal team is for real. Now, whether this form kind of remains after the World Cup window in January comes along, that's yet to be seen. That's going to be where a lot of uh, sort of where we'll know for sure, like if this is a real push or if they might simmer down and just stay within the top four. But I do think that they don't slip past the top four finish. Yeah. 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 I'm absolutely yeah I, I think that if Arsenal uh, make it to the World Cup break in the top spot, that will be an absolutely amazing achievement. Oh, totally. Um, I, I think after the World Cup, it kind of mitigates in Man City's favor simply because of the depth of their squad. And it's going to essentially be a game every three days, if I'm right. Yeah, say, if it's Champions League game, yeah, if the Champions League game draw goes the wrong way, there is no room to fit in the single postponed game from um, after the Queen died. Uh, which well, we is, saw, I think, well, wait a minute. We still also have a whole week of fixtures we need to make up because of that. Yeah. Because, you know, don't forget. Yeah. And remember, you know, including an Arsenal versus City match. Yeah. Arsenal got, versus City yeah. and Liverpool-Chelsea. 
both and there will be no schedule, no no way to fit it in if that draw goes the wrong way, which is exceptionally bad planning for the season. But we'll come to that in the main topic. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Uh, also, shout out to Unai Emery, former Arsenal manager. Uh, yeah, he... Uh, what a debut. What a debut at Villa he had. Took you by complete surprise by the look of it. They didn't seem to know how to defend at the start. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, starting Cristiano Ronaldo and making him captain did not seem to make a damn bit of difference. I, I, I have my severe doubts about Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United right now. I just don't think they're going to have the patience to let him be there for three to four years to change things around. I do think that unless you see Man United get a top four result, either this year or the next, you probably get sacked sometime in the next uh, next Christmas's window, which sucks because I do think that he is a good manager that can bring something to a team. But with Man United, uh, there's just a level of impatience there from the upper management side, which is not going to allow him to do what he should be allowed to do in under the circumstances. So, Well, yeah. you know, as we're talking people who are still in their jobs, uh, Steve Cooper and... Uh, and uh, David Moyes may be up for the chop. Uh, I've been hearing Ralph Hasenhutl is out at Southampton. Yes, uh, it's been confirmed. He is out. He is out. I, I will give Hasenhutl credit. His uh, his Southampton teams could be a pain in the ass sometimes. Yeah, but they could also lose 9-0. <laughs> well, yeah, as they did. Yes, what was it, twice? It's yeah. The duality of the South Coast, I guess. <laughs> Just imagine, though, if this is the year where somehow Southampton does finally get relegated and Portsmouth somehow pulls out a, a playoff league win out of their asses and they both end up in the championship next year. Oh. Just imagine the chaos oh. of those derbies. Uh, excuse me, wait. I'm not, oh, excuse me. I'm going to one-up that one. Uh, imagine if West Ham get relegated. <laughs> Oh yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I think uh, Melt meltdowns. You're talking meltdowns at this point. Yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be some 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 uh, chops being licked in in Bermondsey at that point. Yeah, the, there is. It's really really tight around that relegation zone. You know, if someone just puts in a bad run of form, they're gonna end up down. Oh there. yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, 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 it's amazing though that the West Ham fans are some some segments are already calling for David Moyes's head when it's like, do we not remember that David Moyes also got you into Europe? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I think maybe some of that is starting to catch up with them as well too, because you talk about depth. Uh, they're playing Europa. They're, they've been playing Europa games on top of this particular schedule, and they're going to have more of. Uh, Again, the schedule's just going to be crazy the second half. Like, yeah. great if you want to watch football, but at the same time, it's just like, oof. I think we're all going to need a yeah. break. We're, we're all going to need... I mean, this is like when the pandemic... Remember when we had our the, the three months in the during lockdown, and then, like, we didn't even get an off-season. You no. remember that, John? Yeah, two weeks, <laughs> isn't it? Something like that? Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we... Yeah, we have not had a... When have we had... Have we had a break from football since lockdown? No, because we had the delayed Euros in 2021. So there was what? There was maybe a shorter offseason there, a month or so? Yeah. If that? 
Yeah. Well, again, I, th- th- this may be something for the the main topic. <laughs> now that now that we're uh, now we're thinking. But I mean, about yeah, it. we're still in the subject of you know, obviously the prem. Uh, Newcastle, third place, just third again place a, run, for Newcastle a run of for, a run of form by those boys. I mean, a lot of. T- a lot of talk can be made on what's financing them these days, and Lord knows that's like a pod in and of itself. Oh, we're, oh we, have, Still, we have had that pod, yes. As, uh, <laughs> yes, you de- you, I, I have definitely heard it as well, but I mean, just in general, you can still keep going uh, with it, but it's just, it's a credit to, head, uh, to Eddie Howe and the boys there and the work that they've been doing. Like, Miguel Alvaron, holy shit. Like, Miguel Alvaron came from? from Atlanta United, and now... <laughs> He's yeah. Well, what was it that uh, Jack Grealish was taking the piss out of him early in the season? Mm-hmm. And look at him. Look at him now. Yeah. Did, did you? Yeah. Hear that? You're talking uh, Bruno Guimaraes as well. Yeah, Guimaraes. I heard it was like yeah. He's he's massive for Newcastle right now. Guimaraes yeah. is like a future captain for them at this point. If Trippier ends up going elsewhere at some point or another, he just has all the qualities for them, and they love him in that team. Yeah, from what I can but, see there. But so. also, we have to remember, you know, Alan St. Maximin, too. Yeah, God, the pace down the wing, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, you can, you can argue, again, as say, with finance, but it's a good side he's put together without spending an extreme amount of money at the moment. They haven't kicked in with that yet. I mean, everybody was, everybody was saying, you know, sign Mbappe, you know, sign Holland, sign da-da-da. Well, they didn't, but they're third yeah. in the Premier League. Yeah, if they get Champions League, you might see the money start to be spent then. Oh, 100%. That's, I think that's probably what they are betting on at this point, just with the form that they've had. You know, keep things going. If we break into Champions League or even into the Europa, then start like opening the coffers at that point in time. I wouldn't be surprised if in January we see one or two big signings, but not like, oh my God, they're breaking the bank and like, with Saudi money or what have you on that front, but I do think that they're going to bring in some reinforcements the same way that they did last year during the January one. Yeah, I, I think they've learned from uh, where Man City went wrong when they got their money in and, you know, just went on a spree that ended up with Rubinho not knowing yeah. signing. <laughs> I still remember saying that. I'm just like... I, I still remember just that signing them just like, you guys know he's kind of washed right now, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, okay. Well, wait a bit. Let's not forget when when Roman first got to Chelsea, and the his first major get was Juan Sebastian Varane, who was already a flop at Man U, despite you know mm-hmm. everything he'd done in Italy and Argentina. He sucked at Man U, and he sucked at Chelsea too. Yeah, yeah he really wasn't the type of player for either of those sides. They wanted they wanted to really want to play at all. You know, he 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 was a guy who kind of he slows the game down. He builds the passes around the area. Though Man United, Chelsea at the time, they wanted to be fast and direct. And for us, well, they were trying to, yeah, because they were trying to compete against Wenger's arsenal at that point, you know. But God damn it, he scored the winner at Anfield on his debut, and I'm never forgiving him for that one. <laughs> I will, I will say this though: a credit to Brighton this year as well, too. Even with Grand Potter stepping stepping out to take the Chelsea job, they have still been holding their own just fine without him so far into the fold. Is a really good appointment. It's they thought through. You know, they haven't gone for one of the really big names that they they might have pushed for. They've just gone right. We've got a list. We know the guys we want. 
you know, they, they feed through. They, they want to, there's nothing coming managers. You know, it's what they do. And they, you know, they had, um, did they have Martinez there at one point? Um, Potter, obviously. They are a really well-run outfit on a budget. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my dogs have opinions and, about this. So. Oh, of, co- of course, yeah. No. I just like it's the fact that they're establishing themselves as a middle-of-the-table team and, you know, to keep yourselves in the Premier League and get the money that comes with it. Consistency is key, and the fact that they're doing this on a budget as it is, I think it spells, uh, go- uh, it spells just really good long-term success for them, which it's cool to see, see that happen, like seeing more teams like this being able to do what they're doing in the league with the modest budget and staying up is important just to show that you don't have to be owned by American billionaires or what have you to succeed in the top league in the entirety of the sport. I like to move on from uh, the, from the premier league for a bit. I just want to go a little bit further North to to Scotland. I already buried Rangers and I'm going to continue to bury Rangers, but uh, how about that comeback for Celtic yesterday against uh, Dundee United with uh, both Kyogo and Leal Abada, excuse me, sorry, um, scoring in injury time. Oh, ter- yeah. terrific. Crazy stuff. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, that game, not on TV. So, yeah, CBS, get your get your shit together. And, and, I, mean, and I mean, to their credit, too, because, like, uh, Dylan Levitt got his goal in the 87th minute of that. So we thought at, for a moment there, Dundee was actually going to pull up the upset right? and kind of break Rangers' or, winning streak that they've had going. Or Celtics, yeah. Yeah, no, Celtics, excuse me, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, well, watch, your, watch your mouth, son. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and I would just like to, you know, maybe – I don't think we could fit this into the main topic, so I'm just going to bring it up here. Um, Kyogo Furuhashi not being in the Japan World Cup squad is an absolute scandal. Again, Japan's manager going with more experience rather than, I guess, like talent per se, but I just don't think that in a group where you have Germany and Spain to contend with, you kind of need a wild card and someone that maybe might be able to finish, which Japan does not happen at the moment, unfortunately. Right. So, well, that's just it. I mean, I, uh, of the three main ones at Celtic I was thinking of, I thought Rayo Hatate was going to be a dark horse. But, I mean, Kilgo and my and Dyson Maeda should have been shoo-ins. Maeda did get picked. Why you don't pick Kilgo when he's typically the first one off, off the block in any random Celtic game it is beyond me. I don't get it either, but uh, if it shoots Japan in the foot during the course of group stages, we'll kind of know one of the reasons why at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I just think it's scandalous. I, I think it's 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 not right, and I think Kyogo deserves that that forum. But you know, but on the other hand, maybe that'll keep Kyogo at at, at Paradise for a little longer too, because <laughs> and it'll keep him fresh for that second half of the season. True. Well, true. that's true too. That is true too, and we're going to see a lot of that too because I mean a lot of big players are not are not even in the World Cup, you know, specifically one Erling Brat Holland, but neither is Martin Odegaard. Mo Salah's not going either. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, I mean, Gabriel Jesus probably going. Most yeah. likely, yes. Uh, I don't know if the Brazil's announced their squad yet. They better have because it's it starts in two weeks. But again, we'll 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 get to that in in, in our main topic. We brought Chris on to discuss uh, two leagues we don't often talk about. So um, 
Chris, first of all, congratulations to your Palmeiras winning uh, this year's Brasileiro Serie A with three mm-hmm. games left to go. Yep, we've got one game starting here in another hour or so. That's part of the fixtures. But yep, the title has been sealed as of last week around. So credit to the boys all around. The season looked a little bit disastrous there with the amount of fixtures that we had between uh, Copa do Brasil, the Libertadores, as well as the Brasileiro to kind of contend with. And a lot of depth issues appeared during the course of the midseason, which sort of led to being taken out of Copa do Brasil by São Paulo, and then Atlético Paranaense taking us out in the semifinals of the Libertadores, which was a bit of a bitter pill to swallow, unfortunately, but uh, winning the Brasileiro is as good of a consolation uh, as any at this point in time. And it's been exciting to see the team kind of regain its form near the end of the season, and of course, seeing Endrick finally debut for the uh, professional team. On his side of the spectrum, John, five I, apps, John, I three goals you, so far into it. John, I yeah, sent you a video. Fantastic. I sent you a video. You Andrew. did. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? Sixteen years old. The, the 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 guy has a good head on his shoulders, and he has all the skills, as far as I can see. Really, really impressive. Is, is this and another? Just, is this another Palmeiras uh, export that's going to be coming? We think. Very, very likely. One hundred percent. We'll be lucky to hold on to him until we're what until he's eighteen at this point. So I do think he stays with us until he's eighteen, but I do think he moves like immediately after that. So in this run of, of Paul Maris, I mean, what we we know about? I mean, John and I have talked about their 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 uh, double win of uh, Copa Libertadores in the last few years. I think we may have jinxed them, and <laughs> when we did, likely or unlikely, but um. So what what is it? It's been two Libertadores. This is their first Serie yeah, A in a while. We've had a city uh bit of success as well too. We were third place last year uh, around, so we came close, but not quite. But we had uh, we did get a uh, treble back in 2020 with the Campeonato Paulista, Copa do Brasil, and then the Libertadores. Yeah, because there's, there's still as the, well too the, with about. Yeah, Right, because there's still the Polista, the, the state championships, right? Exactly, yeah. And yeah, on the state championship side of the spectrum, we've been pretty dominant on that side of the spectrum. We did that this year as well, too. So it's a double for us this time around due to that. But yeah, we've got the Brasileiro this year finally sealed and delivered on that front. But just overall, Belfair Head has been really successful as a manager for us since coming into the fold. A uh, couple of titles to his name already. That's another name that I wouldn't be surprised if in another two years, if he leaves the team, he goes somewhere like uh, in Europe or even takes like the Portugal like national team job, to be honest. I would not be surprised if something that happens down the line. Just he's very methodical. He reminds me of Mourinho in some ways with the sort of like kind of cautious 3-4-3 type of stuff, 4-3-3 oh. type of style that he can play <laughs> once in a while. Uh, just there's... Methods to his madness, if you will, on that front. Even if he's not, even if his method of playing is not my personal favorite in a way, shape form, it's not attractive football per se, but it's effective football. So uh, you take you take those when you can win games uh, with them. John, but do you have any? To, oh, I would say, John, do you oh, have yes. anything you want to ask about uh, about uh, the Brasileiro Serie A that, that is now decided by Paul Maris? No, no, it's, it's going to. Um, 
how do you think it's going to go for next season? Are there, are there any up-and-coming rivals we need to look for? In, in I mean, Flamengo is the other biggest team in the entirety of Brazil, and I think the only reason why they are currently like in fifth is because most of their focus was on the Libertadores this year, which they've won. So uh, I do think that's a big contender to deal with. You always have those assholes over at Corinthians, which <laughs> big like der- derby rivals and everything in between, like they are... More often than not, you'll always find them in top form. Internacional has had a really good run this year. They've been second place from a majority of the campaign this year around. Fluminense kind of came out of nowhere this year as well, too, which was a kind of a pleasant surprise in terms of like top teams in the course of the league. They had a seventh place finish last year, so they've kind of improved on that as well. But the Brasileiro was always interesting because you can always have certain teams that are mid-table one year that kind of come to like the top seven or eight the next year around uh, outside of, I would say, like Palmeiras, Flamengo, and Corinthians at this time, like as sort of like the top dogs in the league. I don't see a lot of other teams kind of improving like a crazy amount. Maybe Sao Paulo FC if they get their shit together, but right now they seem to be kind of in a rebuilding of some sort a little bit with santos as well too so it's i think santos been... has been in rebuilding ever since neymar left well yeah but i mean they have some spells in which they are really good they were our opponents in the libertadores finals two years ago so credit to them on that from I... the spectrum just you can't discount sao paulo and rio de janeiro teams they will more often than not like figure a way of coming for your head some way, shape, or form. Has there been any uh, progress on the idea that was floated of a Brazilian Premier League? And it's still it's still very much being talked about. And I know that Palmeiras and Flamengo's uh, presidents are like two of the big pushers for that idea at the moment. Uh, but I think the idea with that Super League that they need to figure out is how they're going to get everybody else that doesn't have the incredible amount of money in Brazil involved in like those revenue shares that come along because if you're gonna make this if you need this idea to work outside of the corruption with the brazilian football federation you need to get everybody on board you need to have like a structure paying window for everybody that's involved with it otherwise it's just gonna die the same way that the idea did all those years ago when they tried into the 80s so uh two more questions i have about brazil number one uh how relieved are you that lula won over bolsonaro <laughs> Very much for lead, but it's going to get worse before it gets better with the situation. They're just, it's a lot like the United States and the fact that there are a lot of people that just bought into what Bolsonaro was selling them, even if it was a bill of goods that was dog shit. Uh, so I, 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 you're going to have to deal uh, with representing the, the UK, John, John Arnold here representing the UK. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all, three of us, all three of us know this too well, unfortunately. <laughs> And then uh, my last question on while we're still talking about Brazil, uh, I believe it's been it's either been five or six years on from the disaster that more or less killed Chapacoense. How have they been since then? As far as I remember, Chapacoense, they did win a Sudamericana or at least got to the finals from what I recall on that front. They have been still playing for the most part. They were... Uh, between Seti A and I think they are in Seti B this year around. They did get relegated, I think, one or two seasons ago on that front. Uh, they did have a Seti A campaign uh, last year around that they were. I think they ended in 15th, I want to say. I'm double-checking that right now. Just 
on the it's okay we, 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 we do this constantly or, so. uh, <laughs> no yeah uh, as far as i know with them here they have still been in between like both tiers on their side of the spectrum between seti a and seti bay on their side i believe this year they are a seti bay team i'm just checking on their standings right now to see where that may have ended up yeah, they ended up mid table on Seti B this year. So they're, they're going to uh, remain down. In, so they're going to remain down in the in the second yeah. tier. But I mean, ha- yeah. have they recovered? I mean, I don't think mentally it, it's going to take a long time. I mean, mentally, it's gonna, no, it's going to be a long time. But I think with the right. player side of the spectrum, they have been gradually I mean, it, getting it, themselves back into it as much as they humanly can. Right. I mean, so right. But I mean, you know, John and I have mentioned at times the, the the munich disaster for for manchester united way back when that did take uh, a mental toll on manchester united for many years yeah and then yeah, you got and- the Berger, torino disaster as well and they've never recovered from that right mm-hmm. well there's that too so all right no, no, it's still very, it's still very much being felt for sure so the other reason we bought chris aboard was to talk the J League because they had a thrilling finale. Uh, Chris, why don't you give us some context uh, about this? All right, so in terms of the J1 League, for the most part of this year, it looked like it was Yokohama F. Marinos' uh, league to win as a whole. They had quite a few points lead on everybody else involved, including defending champions Kawasaki Frontale, who had won Four out of the last five uh, J-Leagues, they were going for a three-peat this year around. And Marinos had a couple matches in which they looked a little shaky during the process, in which uh, they almost fumbled the bag there nearly at the end, only to recover in the final two weeks, where a pair of ones for both teams involved, both for Marinos and Frontale, kind of ended up giving uh, Marinos the uh, leads point on this by about uh, three points, uh, two points rather, my apologies where they won the league with 68 points, Frontale coming right behind them with 66. But it was a situation this last week in which if uh, Yokohama F. Marinos did lose to Vissau Kobe and Kawasaki Frontale pulled out the win against FC Tokyo, uh, Frontale would have won uh, the league altogether. So it definitely came down to the wire there between both teams. But yeah, for the second time in the past six years, Yokohama F. Marinos break up a possible uh, Frontale three-peat. But yeah, two teams that sort of dominated the J1 League uh, league portion of it over the last six years, which is a little bit unusual. Uh, They haven't seen this sort of a dominance level since Kashima Antlers were doing their thing back in the 2000s. But uh, it kind of shows that the league itself, it's got its top dogs at this point. But to me, the league itself wasn't the most interesting part of it because much like uh, anywhere else in the world you have, your cups, you have your competitions and such. So the Emperor's Cup is probably one of the most unique stories that I have seen throughout the course of football, I think, this entire year because uh, the team that won it, uh, Vent for it, Kofu, which is a J2 league team who is was under threat of relegation outright, ran the table in the entirety of the Emperor's Cup and won against some Freche Hiroshima, which were th- who were third place in the J1 at that. Won that in like dramatic fashion to like uh, five foreign penalties in the final in and of itself. And just to give you context on this run by uh, Ben Furet, uh Kofu, the teams that they took out after the second round, which is just like with 
the Emperor's Cup, you get pretty much every single team in Japan involved, like even universities and stuff. Anybody that's involved in their pyramid takes part into it. So you can see like under the magic of the cup, these yeah. kinds of runs. Exactly. Yeah. The magic <laughs> of the cup as a whole. But just to give you context, third round, they take out Hokkaido Consadole Sapporo, which is a J1 lead team. Uh, round of 16, they take out Sagantosu, which is a J2. I think they were J2 this year around. Yep. Uh, they were in our yeah. fashion show, as Sorry. a matter of fact. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. They were, J- yeah. Mid table J1 lead team this season around. They take them out in the round of 16. Quarterfinals, uh, they take out Avispa Fukuoka, who was also in the uh, J1, like mid table near the bottom of it. But then the semifinals, they take out Kashima Antlers, who are top dogs in the J1 as a whole. More often than not, you'll see them in the top four, top five every single year. They take them out one nothing, and then the results against Sanfred Hiroshima in the finals. So, so, so basically, just they, they, they just went through the top tier teams. Pretty much, and that guarantees them a spot in the AFC Champions League as a near J2 relegated side, which is <laughs> astounding oh, wow. in and of itself. And then there was also the Levain Cup, which is like their domestic cup, similar to the um, League Cup in this situation. Well, the Emperor's Cup is more like the FA situation with right. that, in which Sanfrecce Hiroshima did beat Cereso Osaka 2-1, to one. But in the craziest uh, set of events that happened, because Cerezo Osaka was leading that one nothing, going into the final minutes, uh, one of their guys gets a red card in the 79th minute with uh, injury time, uh, 90, uh, 90 minutes, six, uh, the 96th minute, uh, they get a penalty, they score. The, because of like an injury in the red card and all that, they got like 12 minutes during that extra time. And the same guy, Piero Sotirio, scores a header off of the set piece to give them the win last minute in the So it was all so, in injury time basically. <laughs> yeah, both goes in injury time and Hiroshima kind of gets redemption for the uh blunder that they had in the Emperor's Cup against uh, Ventimore uh, Kofu in the situation. So J1 league super interesting this year around and it tends to be one of the more competitive leagues kind of on a worldwide perspective as well. You don't often see the same teams like Outside of like Kawasaki and uh, Yokohama the past couple of years, more often than not, you see a lot of fluctuation between top dogs in the league. So it, it makes it for an interesting watch. Probably. Well, I mean, it, it's a good league to watch. I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, Andrew time Parker, difference. Yeah, is, well, yeah. yeah, well, that's the problem is that it, the, the t- it's like, you know, well, Chris and I, of course, we uh, <laughs> we, we came together through a, a, a love of Japanese pro wrestling. So, yeah, we know about the time differences in Japan. Um, but, uh, you know, Anja Pasakoglu, of course, had come from the J League prior, just prior to going to Celtic. And, you know, well, you know, he, he pulled a bunch of big players from the J League as well. But, uh, John, the, the now winning manager of Yokohama F. Marinos, uh, name that you might be familiar with. Indeed. Uh, that would be one Kevin Musket. Good lord. If you remember yeah. him, ex of Crystal Palace, Wolves, Rangers, and Millwall before going back to Melbourne. I was I was gonna mention Millwall. Yes, he he was a a, a very feisty character, shall we say? Oh, so yes. I, I think yes. he would be interesting. <laughs> well he's now in Yokohama definitely yeah, Yokohama definitely has that sort of similar style for sure. Oh, and and oh, successful no. in the league, so 
Yeah, you, you, Yokohama's a wild town, so as we understand it. So, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like. I mean, again, I wish J League would have some coverage here besides on YouTube, where you know they only show him live, but that's you know live in Japanese time. So, yeah. Yeah, it'd be, it, it would be nice because I would like to. We, I, I have said before on this show, I, I wish we uh, had more J League. Uh, we we could watch more J League because I think it's a it's a fascinating league. I, I think it's probably equivalent to Scotland, if we're honest. But uh, you know, if uh, you know, it'd be it'd be fascinating to watch. Uh, over in Germany, sadly, Union Berlin are now in second, two points behind Bayern. I, unfortunately, we did kind of predict this would happen, John. <laughs> Yeah, they, they they consolidated that second place in style today with a 5-0 loss to Leverkusen down in the relegation zone when it started. Oh, my you, goodness. I was going to league leaders beating 5-0 by teams down there every day. But, yeah, you know, I mean, equal fan, I've got to say, big up Xavi Alonso. I mean, he, he's yeah. doing well at, at as Leverkusen manager so far, it has to yeah. be said. Yeah, he, he, he's picked them right up. Um so that that's always good seeing, you know, maybe a potential Liverpool manager for the future. No. I take him over Steven Gerrard anyway. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm still yeah. very afraid of Steven Gerrard being picked back up by uh, by by the Hun. Yeah, it's still it's still a crazy run of results for Union Berlin as a whole to be hanging on in third place right now, with having to deal with obviously. Bayern being Bayern, Dortmund being right behind their heels, Freiburg being a consistently good team on their mm. Bundesliga side as well. They just moved up to second place with the results. Um, oh, okay. Well, that was. Oh, whoop. Well, they're tw- no worries. Yeah, they're, it's only a point differential between the two right now with uh, Berlin and Dortmund being at 26. I mean, I don't Bayern think any of us. And the Bayern at 28. But yeah, it's still. I don't think any of us expected own. Union Berlin to usurp the title. No, but, absolutely I mean, not. But, you know. Absolutely not. No. For, for this only being that. their third year in the top flight ever, and, and to be top of the table that long behind the likes of Bayern and Dortmund, uh, amazing. I mean, if they don't. I mean, they should finish in the top four of the Bundesliga at, at this rate. Oh, oh yeah, of course. And then meanwhile, Schalke's in the absolute mud this year. Sadly, I think we knew that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but alas, it's just like, oof. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, not, not exactly uh, so, so, some brighter days in, uh, in Gelsenkirchen right now, so... Uh, we have a couple of other things we got, we got to address. This is probably the longest news segment we've ever done. (laughs) Um, of course we do have, uh, champions of the United States of Americans. Um, first of all, last week, uh, Portland Thorns after the rockiest season ever for NWSL with everything that has come out about what's going on behind the scenes there. Portland Thorns still managed to win 2-0 over, uh, I think it was Kansas City. And uh, they they are the NWSL champions for 2022. So congratulations to them. Especially, they, they had one of the rougher years. They, they, were, they, they were one of the, the, the focus teams of all the scandals. Along with, sadly, you know, my Chicago Red Stars. But um, also last night in a one of the wildest games I've ever seen, 
LA, it may have been honestly the best MLS game to have ever happened in the history of that league. Well, uh, I actually went back and watched it last night, and ironically, I think it's possibly the best game that, that, that was, league has seen in its lifetime. For that, sure. that, was, that was a wild, wild game. Um, yeah, LAFC. His popularity and right before he, before he annihilates you in three weeks, guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, keep dreaming. <laughs> Yeah, because that's all you have is Gareth Bale. <laughs> we got Aaron Ramsey still. He's scoring goals at the minute. Look, your look, your first choice keeper isn't even getting played right now, so I don't want to hear it. Hey, hey, we got Danny Ward. He's a first choice keeper at Leicester. We got a Premier League keeper there if we want him. <laughs> oh come on! You think Wayne Hennessy is 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 uh, is the man between the sticks there, John? Hey. <laughs> He's got us. He's got us to the World Cup. What more can I say? I'll take it every time. <laughs> he's not even getting played right now. Anyway, Gareth Bale, <laughs> Gareth Bale in the dead of extra time. <laughs> My God, that was a game. That was a game, and it went to penalties. And sadly, Philadelphia fell apart during penalties. I thought on that first attempt from Philadelphia, I thought dude rolled his ankle. Oh, a little bit, Chris. I think just the greatest irony is that. It was a Philadelphia kid in the LAFC goal at that, and a former like Philadelphia oh, Union wow. player at that. So it was just like, wow, that that's a come up. Is if you could ever ask for one. I mean, LAFC were the best team in the entire league. They were through the season, 100%. so they they do deserve this win. Um, I'm not going to say that Philadelphia didn't deserve it because I think they certainly did too. And it looked like for a few scant minutes they were they had done it. And again, yeah, these were the two best teams in the entirety of the UL, uh, of the MLS throughout the entire year. So number one seed in the East, number one seed in the West. This legitimately was like for the Marbles who the best team in the league was, and it delivered on that front. Yeah, I mean, so, there was no uh, – yeah, I mean, there was no no question there. Oh, we have a score update. Uh, Juve leading Inter 1-0. That's a bit of a surprise, actually. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, hey, Arsenal women, top of the table. Man, you women lost today. And haven't Arsenal won every game this season, I think? Um, yes, they have. Uh, Chelsea women are tied on points, but they already have a loss. And they, and they so, played one, one more game. So. One more game. Yeah, so, what, when, yeah, Jeff, when are we starting about Arsenal women's team being the best pound-for-pound pound team in the world? <laughs> I mean, they're they're the top of their uh, they're the top of their Champions League group too, uh, in a group that also has Olympic Lyon. You know, usually usually considered the the greatest club team in women's football. Well, yeah, I think Barcelona have got an argument there right now. Yeah, and uh, also Juve, Juventus are in our group too. So. Their women's team. Yep. So anyway, oh, and on that note, speaking of Champions League, uh, the group stages are over. We already buried Rangers, uh, and rightly so. Yes, I know Celtic looked like shit too, but not as bad. They got points. They got points at least. Let's give them. They got points. They uh, got points. They got points. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, not uh, only the worst record. We have the best ever runners-up record as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. Is that hey, like that Mexican, I mean, hey, beating Napoli at on the street that they've been having—that's a credit to Liverpool in and of itself. It's got to be said. I was not expecting us to win. I, I thought Napoli might be a little bit off it, but no, they—they they were on their game. Um, 
a couple of inches from that or one goal being onside. I think might have been a different story if that had gone in, but mm. I'll take it. But yeah, the only team to beat Napoli this year and Napoli winning again yesterday. You know, they're flying in Sierra this year. I'm loving watching that. Yeah, Napoli yeah. have a six-point gap on the defending champions, AC Milan, right now. So yeah, Napoli are are ama- an amazing side. They're still unbeaten in Syria. Uh, Eleven wins, two draws. Mm-hmm. But John, you were of uh, course were in my mentions, you know, crowing, you know, Napoli who, uh, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, look, wow. I haven't been able to give it out much this year. Come on, I've got to Fair. take it on now. Pick your spots accordingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but hey. Talking about picking your spots accordingly, Club Bruges in Group B. What a story. My goodness. Oh, wow, yes. I hope the Bruges Brasserie in, uh, in, in in Indianapolis is happy. Shout out to them if they're still – if they're even still open. I don't even know if they're still open it's like, after the pandemic. And that group in of itself, like Porto going through, that was expected, but just Club Bruges in second place. Leverkusen going to Europa. Atletico Madrid just heading back to La Liga outright. Yeah, well, yeah. and then also, yes. I mean, Barcelona in Europa. Um, I mean, I think Inter's, isn't Inter out too? No, Inter's second place in that group. Oh, okay, Bayern's well, never first, mind. Inter second. Uh, you're, you're right, I'm sorry, I forgot they were in the same Oh, you're group. fine. Yeah. No, it just, yeah, group, group C in and of itself, nothing too surprising outside of the obvious like Barcelona's in the mud back to the Europa with them. I just have to think like if you're Arsenal fan like you, Jeff, or for Man United fans, and you're seeing these teams coming into Europa's round of 16, you're just going to be like, got to be fucking shitting me right now. Well, right now, yeah, but right now, yeah, Arsenal finished top of their group, so we are avoiding that playoff, so it's... Yeah, which is good, which is good, but it's just like at the same time, you're just like, oh man, just the murder... The, the fact that these teams are coming down into the Europa that you wouldn't expect ever being in Europa, but... Yeah but, yeah, but but Spurs coming back against Marseille, that was disgusting. Oh, my God. that Just uh-huh. the amount of drama in those final few minutes with Sporting thinking that they were out like entirely after mm-hmm. uh, getting beaten by Frankfurt, and then Spurs on the counter winning that game last minute keeping sporting in some sort of European competition and sending Marseille just completely out of it. Um, I'll, I'll just say it now. The fact that Marseille is out of any of these competitions entirely and Juventus gets to go to Europa kind of makes me sing to my stomach. <laughs> kind of. I mean, maybe Group D was the, the real group of death. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, we, with the we way it now looks in the final we all, game. We all thought it was Group C. Maybe it was actually Group D. Or maybe the real group of death were the friends we made along the way. <laughs> hey, we're told the above. I've got to have a word in here for the, the Europa League, the Group F in the Europa League. All four teams tied on eight points at the end of the group stages. All right. Uh, so who, so who, were, who, who were those? Who, who were those four teams, John? You had Feyenoord, Mittailand, Lazio, and Sturmgratz. So who went Lazio through? in third, going through Feyenoord and Mittailand. Oh, my goodness gracious. Eight points apiece? Every yep. side had eight points. That must in that be, a, that must be that a hella goal difference. Yes, uh, four, four goals for Feyenoord and Mittailand. Uh, Lazio had a minus two, Sturmgratz minus six. Wow. 
Still pretty, still pretty crazy all around, though. Oh, yeah. So, so Gratz got eight points with four goals total, you know, so... <sighs> Whatever yeah, works, it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes it, that's what it comes down to. But yeah, I mean, the other groups, somewhat somewhat on the obvious side, Chelsea and Milan advancing with Salzburg, getting relegated to Europa, sounds about right. Real Madrid topping the table. Um, Leipzig getting second place did surprise me. Though. I thought Shakhtar had it in them to like make a bit of a run in this group. But well, you know, uh, they yeah. at least get a rope of play. Well, you it, know, we, so. that was the only team Celta got points off. So, you know. True. And then, you know, Man City and Dortmund with Sevilla being their usual UEFA Europa merchants that they've always been. <laughs> you know, back to business as per usual. The, the, the Sevilla Invitational Tournament. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and then the biggest thing, though, Benfica coming through and winning Group H, that surprised me. Yeah, I, I did not see that happening at all. Well, just they just show, they, right? they they just made those goals count against Maccabi Haifa, and then PSG now has to go in as an unseeded team, which just has to be like for any seeded teams. Like I would just think that PSG is probably the team that you don't want to get on that drawing. Uh, they they, 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 they are gonna win it. <laughs> I mean, every true, year everybody thinks PSG and City or, or City are going to win it, and they don't. Well, listen, personally, I am just hoping for the truly chaotic scenario of a Man City versus PSG round the 16, just because one history of failure for one of these two squads is going to be a guarantee. <laughs> and it'd be wonderful. Fail hard. <laughs> <laughs> who, who's, going to, who's going to be the big, bigger fraud? Pep Guardiola or whoever Kylian Mbappe has managing the bench this year <laughs> well we uh well that draws ha the, actually all the draws are happening on monday so uh yeah. yeah well unfortunately we won't be around for for that one but uh yeah that does remind me john we never did do a uh a pre we never did do a preview uh champions league episode so i guess we'll we'll try to get to the round of 16 uh you know to the yeah. to the knockout stages this time around but Look, you know what I'm going to say. Liverpool going to win it. End of story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough news. We 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 have we have gone nearly an hour on the first segment for the first time ever. Uh, Chris or John, do you have any other news bits you want to bring up this time? Chris, I mean, obviously we've talked about Napoli's form over in Serie A as well too. Uh, Atlanta, credit to them, they're holding their own in the top four at the moment. Roma are being their usual, like you, Europa, uh, you know, conference leagues sort of merchants. They're hanging around the top six. Uh, Salernitana, though, in ninth place is a pleasant surprise for me so far. Yeah, they, they, they have been much lower. Yeah, they have been a uh, they, they've been uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, have Mid-table mid, mid and hanging on for your first stint in Serie A as a whole. Good for you. Hey, more power to them. All right. Well, I think that's enough for the news. So uh, we we, we got to strap in for today's topic. Fuck the World Cup. John, Jeffrey, and Chris, don't break down. They blow up this sham of a World Cup and everyone involved. Please stay tuned.
we're back with the second half of episode 73 of the Busting Balls podcast. Tonight, for your entertainment, not only John, not only Jeffrey, but also Chris are here to bury the World Cup in fuck the World Cup. I'm not sure we can put it any more plainly than that. (laughs) (laughs) That does summarize the sentiment on the list of grievances and things that we will be talking about here. But just remember, this is the conclusion point that we're all coming to. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is our last chance to get it in before this sham of an event starts. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen with or without us, unfortunately. Um, And yeah, as much as we want to say, we're just going to get this out of the way. Yeah, we are probably still going to end up watching the event because we are we are uh, hypocrites look, and 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 junkies all. Not yeah. not just that, but I think it's also just to begin this whole burial as it is, and I think that's something that it should be said as a whole. I don't blame people who are going to view this World Cup. To be honest, the blame should not be on the viewers in any way, shape, or capacity and sitting around saying that, you know, we're in some way, shape, or form, like, guilty by association on the facets of a corrupt bid that was bought and paid for years prior uh, to all of this yep. happening yep. In, in the first place is just, uh, it very much like, it feels like a straw man argument at best from whoever are the folks that are going to make it, and it's just, like, at the end of the day, uh, when it comes down to the fold of FIFA and things of that nature, if we really want to see changes with the whole, uh, with the whole concept as a whole, those have to come from up top. Like it's not like people can say that you know you're going to boycott, not watch, and whatnot. You know that's your choice. If you feel that is what's best for you, please by all means do so. There is no judgment on any of our parts for that, but. I'm not going to judge people who decide that, hey, you know, it's a month of watching some of the world's best players trying to do what they've dreamed of doing since they were children, represent their country, win a World Cup, you know. I'm not going to blame people for watching it under that nature. I just think that with FIFA's corrupt nature that we have seen revealed, like, outright in, like, national news at that and any place in the world over the last couple of years, that if changes are going to come, they're going to have to come from the very top and, uh FIFA needs to be held accountable, like more than anything at this point. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into the reasons why for that, but that's the crux of my particular argument on that as a whole. Don't blame the actual viewers or the players. Blame the actual uh, supposed, you know, curators of the game itself more than anything. For this uh, John, do you, do you want to begin your preamble here? Well, all I'm saying is, you know, it's been 64 years since Wales made a World Cup. This should be an occasion of an alloy joy. And it will be for a lot. But it has always, this World Cup, and I would also argue the last World Cup, have been absolutely tarnished by the, the backroom dealings which were made to get them to those particular countries. We could make the argument that the 2014 one as well. Uh, Chris may have some <laughs> insight into that one a little bit. I think it's just more the fact for me that the aftermath of that and how I left the country as a whole, that I'm just like, 
yeah, no, fuck you guys. Something needs to change here. Yeah, I think there was a similar situation in South Africa 2010 as well, if I'm not mistaken, um, with a lot of white elephant stadiums left after the uh, tournament. Yeah, they roll into town. They they like the foot one circus FIFA do, but they do not care afterwards. That's yeah, not, you know, they uh, want to throw the party. They don't want to pay for the ticket. Right. Well, I mean, and I mean, you could make an argument, maybe even going back to Korea and Japan in two thousand two. In two thousand two, except Japan seems to have used those stadiums. Yeah, and, um, and I think Korea maybe maybe Korea has as well. South yeah, Korea has they, as well. Bo- yeah, both. Yeah, both. I believe both countries, for the most part, they have worked their the stadiums around like their respective leagues, the K League and J and J League as a whole, like making use of those uh, infrastructures. Probably because, as we've seen with their recent bids in the last couple of years, that they realized, hey, we can make a bid for this in another like ten to twelve years and try to doing this again and have the infrastructure in place at this point. Right. Well, I mean, Japan actually parlayed that into a rugby world cup, as I recall. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, yes, it was a a successful, even if it wasn't the one that they, they should have had it for, they should have had it in 2011, but they, they got hosed out of that one. But I mean, uh, regardless, um, the thing that gets me though, is uh, the, the, the biggest question of course, regarding Qatar is the human rights aspect of this, which is a a, a whole other discussion, which we're going to have right now, because that's, you know, our primary reason for saying fuck the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's been very, very telling that infamously FIFA have sent out a letter this week to try and stop people from talking about any political aspects, trying to keep culture out, out of the World Cup. You cannot keep politics out of a World Cup. If you send it to Russia, if you send it to Qatar, mm-hmm. you are in some way bestowing a form of approval on those routines. Saying, it's okay, whatever their culture, we can play there. You know, you're almost be- bestowing an approval on the way you know they conduct things. And you know how they govern their countries up them, but it is to the majority of the world. There are some abhorrent practices there, you know, not least. There's been this week, I think, uh, the British Foreign Secretary's asked anyone, you know, asked gay, queer people to go and tone things down at the World Cup. They shouldn't have to. No. Absolutely not. And, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. See you too. Um, You know, I I was just going to point out that, you know, our very first episode, John, of this podcast was, you know, World Cups in awful dictator, you know, in awful dictatorships. Yeah, I mean, you know. This, that was our gonna... first episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to go back, you know, you can talk. There was a World Cup in Mussolini's Italy. There was a World Cup in Hitler's Germany. They haven't got much moral high was that, Wait, here. was there a World Cup in Germany? I'm sure there was, was it? Or am I, am I well, there was definitely an Olympics in Germany. Yeah, let me have a look. But there's definitely, um, let me have a look. The A34 and 38 World Cup. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, ugh. still very much like there's not a whole lot of grounds as a whole in these particular 
subject matters. Uh, 1974, it was West Germany. No, no, this was, yeah, was a little bit cold, after. Cold, <laughs> yeah, cold, little, cold War yeah, era, yeah. but yeah. Merkel, but yeah. But, I, I, I was thinking of the uh, England team having to give Hitler salute, the salute before the World Cup. Right. But, you know, at the at the same time, you know, the, 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 the human rights aspect of the Qatar World Cup has to has been and has to still be the focus of of, of any objections to this. Yeah, I'm, I mean, let, let's not be better Bush. It's as much sports washing as PSG, as you know, as Newcastle, as Man mm-hmm. City. You, if you are going to invite the world scrutiny for, I think it's three weeks because it is a compressed tournament. Mm-hmm. You have to expect that scrutiny to be turned on other aspects. You know, yeah, particularly we're talking the workers as well, the treat the way they've been treated just to get this in on time. Well, a- you know, it, and, and you know, Chris w- was bringing up, you know, let, let's not blame anybody who is uh, going to watch the Cub because, well, that includes the three of us. Let's be uh, let's be real here, but you know. There is something to be said. That there, there is the phrase, you know, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Unfortunately, people use that as an excuse rather than as a, a, a means to open the door to find another way around capitalism. And I, I think we need to keep that in mind, too. It's not just say, oh, well, you know, oh, there's no, you know, oh, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Oops, you know, that that's basically how a lot of people seem to take that phrase when that's not the case. Yeah, um, I mean, in, in British terms, every game I believe is free to air over here. So we do not contribute to, you know, to FIFA's consumption that way. But do we, though? Because I mean, they're free to air here. They're, I mean, Fox, Fox has, has spent a lot of money for World Cups. And, of course, you know, they... You know that came out to bite them in 2018 when the world when the USA didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. But you know, and yeah, and we said that this in Russia. You know, when it was in Russia too, they. Uh, I, I just don't think they they don't they don't have the physical infrastructure. They may not have the social infrastructure for this cup, mm-hmm. and that's going to lead to some really bad shit happening. You already mentioned, you know, LGBTQ persons already being told to you know tone their queerness down yeah uh fuck off you know mm-hmm. totally it is yeah you know, the question is everyone's got everyone's going to draw their own lines on where they how they engage with the world cup or not i'm i mean with me i you know i try to watch as many world cup games as possible because i love seeing the different clash of styles with teams you know, how, mm-hmm. you know, there are players I don't know. There are players who are going to make their names as superstars. But the way this World Cup has been organised from the outset, it's killed the joy of the World Cup for me because, you know, you've had to rearrange everyone's schedule. This current season, as I alluded to earlier, has been horribly compressed. At some point, you are, as, as a clip from uh, Klopp came out this week, you are going to have to think of the players at some point. What the hell are you doing? You know, players, say, you know, let, let's take Virgil van Dijk as the extreme example. The guy came back, played virtually every minute of last season, after coming back from injury, had a short break, had to cram in 
extra international games, has been basically playing close on two games a week all season now, mm-hmm. is going to go to a compressed World Cup where each game has a shorter break. And then we are going to have two games a week, again, right through till June. Yeah, We are going to see so many players injured, off form, unable to give their best. FIFA has essentially degraded the entire product of world football for essentially for a little bit of bribery a few years ago, for, you know, for Seth Black and Michelle Platini's back pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's exactly what it was. Right. Well, I mean, that, and that's the other thing that we need to keep in mind, too, is that this, you know, we, we've already been bitching for years about the football calendar getting completely blown up. But this, which it has. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, in, in two weeks time, as we record this, you know, all the major leagues are going to stop. You know, in prep for this World Cup and then restart. I get, OK, so England will restart on Boxing Day. Uh, Germany, I think, should already be in their winter break by then yeah but i mean this is i mean this is also going to kill you know a lot of momentum for teams you know for club teams and you know it again it sends the message from fifa that our athletes are not people they are they are tools to produce a product to to produce product it's product it's product yeah and yeah, they shoot horses, don't they? You know, we're talking that kind of thing, right? And this is like this is just the 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 end result of late stage capitalism getting involved in football. Pretty much, yeah. It's it's the money. It's it. That's what it comes down to. And if the money is there, the self interest is always going to win out at the top end of the game. And again, the trouble with the football character. No one will ever back down it because they think if they lose their fixtures, those fixtures will never come back. There will be less money running in. I'd rather see a really a hell of a product. I'd rather see a, some great football than watch players flog themselves. Essentially, I I, I think you know we're, we're going to see players end their careers this season because of the way this World Cup is organised. Just would not be surprised if that comes down. The injury list is already starting to pile up. Mm. Like, as it is, we've seen the news at this point with Timo Werner being one of the recent injuries for uh, Leipzig at this point, and just he's out of the World Cup entirely. Um, you know, Paul Pogba. son. Yeah. Paul Pogba. son as well. So, oh, son is out. Like a, I believe so. And he, that's a huge loss for the Korean team, for South Korea as well. Oh, my goodness. Then, yeah, um, Reese James and Ben Showell, I believe, are both out as well for England that I know of this yep. week. Yeah. Um, I mean, and with Sun, I just double checked, like, he had a su- successful surgery hoping to participate in the World Cup, but the fact that it's coming down to that alone is, uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, we could make the, I mean, we, lest we forget, David Beckham scored one of the greatest free kicks in a World Cup ever on a broken foot. But that was David Beckham, and you know, not everybody has the. the Again, but and, and by the way, he shouldn't position. have been. But also, he shouldn't have been playing with a broken foot either. Let's yeah, one hundred percent. And that and, it's also. Mm-hmm. And this is without even. Oh, sorry, yeah. So, yeah, and that did cost England that tournament as well because he jumped over a tackle, and obviously uh, that was when Ronaldinho went equalised. Right. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, yeah, Chris was uh, about to say something. Uh, it was more so along the lines of like, and this is before even considering what injuries may happen during the World Cup as well too. Like, imagine for example, like we mentioned Virgil van Dijk as an example. Imagine if he just gets taken out uh, during one of the group game stages and he's out for the entirety of the season. That and how that affects Liverpool or. For Arsenal, like if Gabriel Jesus ends up like it would inj- injury sometime during the course of this, and how that affects Arsenal's form going into the second portion of the year. There's just yeah, a God, lot for, of yeah, God forbid here. something happens to you know Bukayo Saka. Let's just say mm-hmm. you know, there's just or, a lot of factors here at hand that you know, play a hand as a whole. So right. I mean, John already mentioned earlier in this show. You know, luckily, yeah. Andrew Postacoglu, well, he doesn't have to sweat over Kyogo, but he's going to have to sweat over Dyson Maeda. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it becomes, again, and I think the biggest part for me that really is the kicker, and to me specifically with this whole FIFA situation, is that, you know, we've seen that at this point that some of those guys that were behind those particular bids and the bribery that came with it, the United States government, of all things, had to get involved in this whole process to like actually start getting some people to actually get their actual comeuppances, which is an unusual like protagonist in this particular story. Well, but let, let's be honest: if the USA hadn't been one of the top candidates for 2022, I don't think they would have given. Oh, I oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like that goes without saying. But at the same time. Just the very fact that they somehow like put themselves in that position to like be, you know, put under that level of scrutiny as it is. It's just, uh, yeah, you know, Chuck Blazer is a turncoat, wasn't it? If I remember rightly, yeah, Chuck <laughs> Blazer. Well, right, and I mean, it finally took down Seth Blatter as president. Which, let's face it, he was always awful mm-hmm. as FIFA president. Oh and, yeah, you know, 100%. Michelle, you know, Michelle Platini too at UEFA. But, I mean, again, if it hadn't been for, let's face it, it's, it's capitalism that has ruined the World Cup and ruined the game entirely. And if it hadn't been for that, we wouldn't be in this position. No, so I, how, how do you decapitalize football at this point? With great difficulty, because, yeah, let's face it, in all walks of life, Money talks. Money will always win by appealing to vested self-interest. You know, as, as long as the money keeps flowing, everyone's happy. But the game is not run for the benefit of players. The game is not run for the benefit of the best players giving of their best. It's run. It's it's just quantity over quality right now. I said this tournament again is a compressed tournament. It's. You know, the World Cup should be, you know, the best four weeks of the year football-wise. It, it, you should be seeing some of the best players in the world. You know, you should be seeing new superstars emerge. And I'm going, I'm, you know, we, we're what? Three, four weeks out from it here? And two. I'm just... Two. Two weeks out, yeah. And, I'm, I, you know, as I said, I, <laughs> it's Wales' first World Cup for 64 years. I should be thrilled, but, you know, you're going... Qatar have essentially bribed fans from every single country, you know, to start at the chart, including that damn England band. It's <laughs> you shouldn't be needing to generate that atmosphere at a World Cup. 
Yeah, I mean, there really is a, a, I mean, there already is an enthusiasm gap. And I yeah. hate the, and I hate the fact that I just said those words. But, <laughs> but I mean, there definitely is an enthusiasm gap with this World Cup. I mean, is anybody actually excited for it? Besides, besides, Fox, besides Fox Sports honks, because, you know, they're carrying, yeah. because they're carrying the World Cup. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the maybe the less engaged, you know, the, the casual fans who like tuning in for it, they may be engaged. But again, normally, you know, this is in the summer and it's fine. And, you know, you take a day off work for us, you know, and sit down, ha- you know, cool one in hand quite happily. Yeah. Now you're in the middle of winter. What the hell, you know? <laughs> it's, it's Yeah, it's going to be, it's just going to be one of those in which, just with the scheduling and all that, I'll definitely still catch a few matches here and there and obviously like whatever highlights come across on uh youtube and whatnot but i think it's just going to depend on how brazil ends up doing throughout this cup as to my own personal interest levels uh on it per se and i do think again just going back to the whole subject you know how do you change something like this with money i just think that it becomes a situation in which somebody with money has to go at some point right Something needs to change about this. If anything, I want to see, given the amount of billions that FIFA gets away with every single couple four years, maybe it's time to start making those motherfuckers start paying the bill on a couple of these cups moving forward. And I think with Canada, Mexico, and the US, if they have the guts to take a stance, there could be an opportunity here to maybe incite something. It's unlikely. But I think that moving forward, FIFA should be made to foot the bill on these. It's not fair for them to make multiple countries spend their own money, their own resources against their own citizens to foot something that's going to happen for a month and then leave town like bank robbers leaving like an entire city as a whole type of situation. It's time that they need to contribute something to the world's game after taking from it for so long. Yeah. I think this again. This is a problem with FIFA. I think, as, as I alluded to earlier, there is no particular benefit afterwards for the whole city. If I'm not mistaken, how do you know? How can you get away with that? If you're, if there is such a cost to taxpayers, and there is a hell of a cost to taxpayers. Oh yeah. What what do they get out of it afterwards? We don't. You know, you have to pay big money to go to the matches if you want to go. You have to pay your travel costs. You you get a month's worth of tourism, but is that going to make up for everything? I don't think so. Well, I mean, they they bring this up every time. You know, they brought this up in Indianapolis when they hosted the Super Bowl, and that ended up actually being very successful long term for the city of Indianapolis. But that doesn't always happen. And the no. fact of the matter is, is that they actually still had an infrastructure for it. When they go into countries that don't necessarily have an infrastructure in place, and they're forced to make one, yes. not not every company, not every country is going to be Korea, Japan, as we've seen. Yeah. And you and we, you can really make the argument that honestly, since two thousand six in Germany, that every single World Cup that has been a host has not had that infrastructure in hand. They Which, have including had to build Brazil, that. shocking. Oh yes. Oh, 100%, especially like Brazil is like a prime example of that in which you would think that a country with that many resources would have something like that ready. Nope, not even close. Not even close. And then they had an Olympics come in. 
not long yep. after that. A double whammy, basically, of just stuff that got built offhand, like very, very quickly, and that a lot of the long-term ramifications are still something that the country is seeing to this day. Yeah. So, and, then, and then Bolsonaro happened. <laughs> yeah, that was part yeah, of kind yeah, of what led to some of that. World, so, world Cup uh, to Olympic, the the World Cup to Olympics to Bolsonaro pipeline to, uh, to Operation Car Wash to eventually Bolsonaro. Yes, there was <laughs> there there is a timeline here that you can follow, unfortunately, on that front. But again, the, it's a situation in which if you're going to make. Which is why I'm not that surprised that we're going to start seeing more of these multi-country bids. But I do think that there needs to be limitations to the fact that if you don't have the infrastructure in place already, and you, I would just say that your bid should not be even considered to begin with. You should have that already there as the first thing. Or if you don't have that infrastructure and people really want a World Cup in your country that badly, they should put the bill for at least 50% of it. No ifs, ands, or buts. Right, but if we could turn this around for a second, that also means that World Cups are are going to be, excuse me, they're going to be, it'll be uh, biased towards European or Western nations. That is unfortunately the downside with a situation like that, and I completely understand that, which is why, to me specifically, it's you have to find a way of making FIFA accountable for some of these things. Again, unfortunately, I don't know the answer as to the how as of this time, but I think that there need these conversations need to start happening at this point before the 2024 summit when their next cups for 2030 and 2034 are going to be decided. So, and, and I think on that, aren't they they're looking to expand the World Cup as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so. yeah. Once they, yeah, if this plan that you know, sadly, Arsene Wenger has been touting. Yeah. For it, it, 48, every, 48 teams in uh, 2026, I believe that has been confirmed. Yeah. Well, and, well, and uh, now going to, and, and trying to go to an every two-year model for the World Cup. That yeah. is it's unsustainable in every way possible, which is just, uh, well, that's not. It's killing, it's killing the golden goose at that point. You know, <laughs> at this point, you know, we, we have the continental competitions. Where the hell do they go? Mm-hmm. What goes on there? It's well, it, and then coinciding with the Olympics on top of it too, every other two yeah. years, which is well, the Olympics, and then also, and also screws over. Let's be honest, it also screws over the women's World Cup. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So you have to find a limit on it because people will stop watching because they haven't got enough time to watch all these tournaments. Mm-hmm. You, know, it kills the occasion of them. Well, yeah, it kills the occasion. It kills the pomp and circumstance of it. It, 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 it takes away what's special about it. Absolutely. But what's special about it is the fact that it is only every four years. <laughs> you know, that's what makes it a big deal. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, in, in this age of, you know, unlimited growth, they think that this is the answer. Oh, we'll just do, oh, we hear you like the World Cup. We'll just do more World Cups. But no, <laughs> more World Cups, more teams. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, the, the more World Cup things, to a certain extent, is buying votes from FIFA's, uh, you know, lower rank members because they can see they get away into the World Cup at that point on a more regular basis, more money flowing their way. They're quite happy about it. But again, it's a problem of hosting it. As Chris said, <laughs> you said the problem is there are what 
five, six countries at most in the world capable of hosting a World Cup as it stands now without new infrastructure? Mm-hmm. How, how the hell you know, how the hell are you meant to take a World Cup to say Africa without, you know, or even most Asian countries here? How are you meant mm-hmm. to do that? You can't. Because you think you'd have have ridiculous amounts of infrastructure simply to put it on, which will not get used outside the World Cup. It's it right, is, and, and it's because of white supremacy why they don't have that infrastructure already. Absolutely, which means it's just a perpetual cycle of late stage capitalism and. <laughs> and then the sooner it comes to an end, the better. Yeah, which is why, to me, like, don't be surprised if more of these multi-country bids start being a consistent thing moving I, forward I after 2026. It's already, like, a thing on a couple of these 2030 bids from what I'm seeing here between, like, Morocco trying to be a, do a thing with, I think it was Tunisia and Algeria, uh, Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, and Paraguay have a bid with the four of them, Spain, Portugal, and Ukraine as well, I believe. I mean, Uh, I I don't have a problem with that. I mean, because we've seen several successful tournaments. You know, again, Korea, Japan, 2002, great tournament. Yeah, definitely. So was uh, Euro 2012, which was, I believe that was the one between Poland and Ukraine, wasn't it? Or was that Uh, 16? Yeah, there there was the, was it 2000? Was Belgium and the Netherlands as well, if I remember rightly? And obviously, we just had Euro uh, 2020 last year, technically. Which was a multi, a huge multi-country tournament, right? But that was only just so you know England could have all home games. So I mean, let's be honest here. <laughs> that was that was that was the whole reason for that one. Uh, let, let, that, let's be that, honest that, here. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Long story short. Yeah, I, this World Cup is probably going to be a disaster, but probably everybody is still going to be watching it, and people will still think it's a success because people will be watching it whether or not it actually is a disaster or not, which I think it will be because of the human rights costs that FIFA yeah. are trying to already sweep under the rug, which if you have to sweep under the... If you're trying to already preemptively sweep the human rights disaster under the rug, you fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, the thing was... I will not be ignoring the human rights issues if I'm tweeting about the World Cup because it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, to to try to, it's again, trying to, I mean, football of all sports is the most political sport there is. Let's, let's be honest. Oh, of, from, of all sports. Yeah. So, and, and to try to extricate that is, 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 or you know, or even deny that it's there is just absolute ridiculous. And I, I'm, and we're going to start talking in circles here because I'm just getting fired up. Yeah, this World Cup is going to suck <laughs> for so many reasons. But like the like the addicts we are, we will still be keeping an eye on it on on the sports part of it at least. But for sure. Yeah, the, the, there's going to be a reckoning to come from all this. So, with that in mind, this has been episode 73 of the Busting Balls podcast. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Busting Balls Pod or email us BustingBallsPod at gmail.com. At least while Twitter's still there, we don't know. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, who knows what Twitter's going to be like. Um, 
you've been listening through our native SoundCloud feed, soundcloud.com slash busting dash balls or the PWOM podcast network, soundcloud.com slash pro wrestling only. And you can find us on Spotify, search busting balls podcast. Uh, Chris, if you want to go ahead and plug yourself real quick, go right ahead. Sure. Well, while Twitter still exists, you can find me at Brazilian Fury there, Brazilian with an S instead of a Z. You can also find my inactive uh, podcast at the moment, uh, Soundtracks on the Sticks. That sounds on Sticks on Twitter. Uh, you can also find my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash at Brazilian Fury with the S instead of a Z. I've been starting to get my hands into doing some FM22, going into FM23 content uh, on that over the recent uh, couple months. How do you think I learned about the J League as quick as I did over the last like six months or so? <laughs> good, old fo- good, old football, good old football manager. Dave and uh, Dave and Jack uh, from Link to the Cast are 100% to blame for this addiction in full. So, you know, shout outs to them. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one's a Man United fan and the other one's a Chelsea fan. I'm sure you both agree with that. Those sentiments entirely. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> actually, we, actually, we, we, actually, we, we, I, I love Dave. I, I love Jack. I'm not gonna say that Jack can go fuck himself, but no, Jack doesn't need to go fuck himself. I, I just don't know Jack very well, so you know. I, yes, I, so you know. just had a bad weekend. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Oh boy! All righty. Well, Chris. Oh, hey, well. By the way, what what is soundtracks on the sticks? So it's my particular inactive podcasting, which my friend Jordan and I talked about uh, video game soundtracks. So we did a couple of episodes between our work schedules not aligning for a little while. We sort of put that on hiatus for the time being, but maybe we'll come back at some point. Or another. I, I, I we'll don't see. know anything about podcasts going on hiatus. <laughs> no, of not course, no, absolutely not. Nope. Nope. Nope, especially not ones that we promised a final episode for that we uh, nearly one year later still haven't done. <clears throat> we don't know. Enough. Moving on, John, <laughs> your plugs, please. <laughs> yeah, John, John, any last words? <laughs> Fuck FIFA, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. FIFA can suck it. All right, well, until then, it's... Uh, Good night from Chris and me. And it's good night from them. (laughs) We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot, Chris. (laughs) 